This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. We're going to be doing a character study of someone today that, I mean, this is not somebody at the top of the list of people. That, in fact, I've never done this. All right, you're just getting a whole fresh, new, brand new thing today because uh, I've been I've been studying the book of John in my personal time. You know, I, I usually I'll pick one book of the Bible and 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 just go through it. Now, John's a little bit more of a lengthy book, 21 chapters. And so as I'm going through there, I'm praying the other day, you know, God, what what do you what do you need us to preach about this week? What do they need to hear? Because I, I don't just come up with something I think sounds clever. I ask God, you know, and, and I figure he knows all of us better than we know ourselves. And so I'm, I'm reading and I'm, I'm over here in John 11 and I come to, uh, this, this strange character who gets a really bad rap and it's pretty much for good reason. Uh, he earned a nickname 2,000 years ago that still sticks with him to this day. And it's one of the 12 disciples that I'm going to be talking about here in just a minute. But uh, it's just so vital for us as everything that we look at today. It may seem a little bit like, well, why would we study this guy? Because in so many ways, we can relate to him we can uh say well yeah I've, I've been in that same spot before but the good news is the guy i'm talking about he didn't stay a dummy <laughs> he didn't stay who he was known as and he ended up being someone really great and so um go ahead and put the powerpoint up there today we're talking about a man named thomas thomas we're going to look at Thomas, and it's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Now, usually I have no intention, I you know, I wouldn't pick Thomas. Out of every great character in the Bible, every great person, Thomas would be not at the top of my list, maybe a little more down towards the uh, the bottom, but there's some great stuff that we can see today. And what it all wraps up and into and what it all boils down to is this, as I said just a minute ago, we are undeniably a faith Church, I don't back down from that statement. Well, those, you know, you, you guys just b- b- believe that God will do anything for you? Absolutely. If he promised it in his word, I believe that he'll do it. No, I'm, you know, if it's not in his word, then I don't have any basis to stand on. But listen, if I can find a scripture in here that says God will do it, you better believe that I will fight tooth and nail, stand on it absolutely to the very end, believing that God will do what he said he would do. We are faith people. We are a faith church. That is everything that we are. And so looking at Thomas, you know, I was, as I was studying this week, we're coming up on Easter, right? The Resurrection Sunday. And I, I, I was thinking like, man, what was this time period like for the disciples? Because Jesus kept giving them warning. Guys, listen, a time's coming when I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going back to the Father. And he just kept saying over and over again. And sometimes I look at him like, you guys were so dense. How did you not see this coming? He kept telling you over and over. But as Jesus said, you know, they don't get it. My time, it's not time for them to get it. My time has not yet come. And so as I study these guys and look at their lives, you know, I I can't get down on them too much because we would have done a lot of the same things. But as we come up on this Easter Sunday in a couple of weeks, you know, Katie was right. That That is the number one 
Christian day of the year. If, if Easter doesn't, I mean, if, if, if thinking about the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, coming up out of that grave and changing your life forever does not light your fire, you know what your problem is? Your wood's all wet, right? Come on. <laughs> right? So listen, this is, uh, we're going to look at Thomas, and, and I'm going to show you a few things about him, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But what I'm trying to do is challenge you where you are at right now. Because no matter who you are, you need to grow in your faith. I need to grow in my faith. I need my faith to be stronger. You need your faith to be stronger. And as a whole, man, if we start really developing and to the people of faith that God wants us to be, look out. The mountains are moving and some stuff is going to happen. Amen? And so let's go ahead and we're going to open in prayer. Then we're going to get into the word of God here. And I am just really believe that God is going to challenge you today to grow. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We thank you that it's alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, that that Jesus is alive. His word's alive. He's alive. And that we are going to study the word today. And, Lord, I pray you speak to each person here. God, challenge us. We want to grow. We do not want to stay how we are right now. We want to be better. We want to be stronger. We want to be more for you. And we thank you that you are having your way today. In the mighty name of Jesus, can somebody say amen? So three things about Thomas today, and and uh, maybe you know these, but number one, Thomas was pessimistic. Thomas was a pessimist. Now, do you know anybody that's a pessimist? You're not that one, are you? Okay. Now, uh, people laugh at me. I, I I would probably fall under the category of optimist, and maybe that sometimes even annoys people. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's bitten me in the rear end a few times because I, I don't know, I just, even when I see people and meet people, uh, you, you know, I, I, I can't help but feel like that, you know, that, that they're good. And, you know, that's how I assisted my next door neighbor's house in getting robbed a few years ago. Some of you guys know that story. Didn't know I was doing it, but I, you know, I assisted the burglars because I just thought they were nice guys. And, uh, and I'm not going to go into that story right now, but I, and, you know, and, and then there's some people that are just pessimistic. They doubt everything. And I bet he's up to no good. What's he doing? And I know what she meant. And there's pessimists. And Thomas probably fell under this category of being a pessimist. And so there's three stories that the scriptures give us about Thomas. They're all found in the Gospel of John. Now, his name is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they give a list of the 12 disciples. All right. But John gives us the three stories that we actually have about Thomas, and we're going to look at all three stories today. Aren't you excited? Man, you're excited. Who's ready to learn about Thomas? Tom. Tommy boy, right? Come on. All right. So turn with me this morning to John chapter 11. Let's do this thing. John chapter 11. Hallelujah. We are studying about good old Doubting Thomas. Have you ever heard him called Doubting Thomas? He earned that nickname. He earned that. He deserved that. (laughs) But here we go. John chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 16. Now, here's a story of when Lazarus had died. Does anybody remember Lazarus? 
So Lazarus was one of Jesus' good friends. Now he's not, you know, recorded as being one of the twelve disciples, but no doubt about it, he was a good friend to Jesus. And so, as you are aware, Lazarus dies. And Jesus is debating, okay, should I go back over there? And the disciples are like, don't go. Don't go back over there. There's people over there in Bethany that they want to kill you. They have it out for you. Don't don't even go back. And so there's this debate between Jesus and the disciples. But look at this. John chapter 11, verse 8. His disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there's 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Well, that sounds pretty good. That's optimistic, right? Verse 12, the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They're like, man, he's just taking a nap. We were actually concerned about this guy. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, uh, guys, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, apparently you guys aren't getting it. They're like, oh, he's taking a nap. He's going to get better. Good power nap will do you a lot of good. I hear a lot of good things about that. Just give him some time. He'll wake up and he'll be fine. And I can just see Jesus' face right there like, guys, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> You're not getting this, apparently. And so, verse 15, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And so, Stop right there for a second. Jesus, he says all this. He's like, I'm glad I wasn't there. Now you're going to have a real chance to believe. You're going to go see a miracle. In fact, if you read earlier on in John 11, I think it's verse 4, Jesus says, guys, this isn't going to end in death. This is going to end in God's glory. This is going to turn out really good. And so Jesus, in several spots right here, tells the guys, hey, it looks bad, but everything's going to be okay. So look at what? Thomas said, here's the first words we have from Thomas. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Can you, I mean, come on. Jesus just told these guys, this isn't going to end in death. You guys are going to get a chance to see the glory of God. This is going to, this is going to be a miracle. Something good is going to happen when we get over there. And Thomas is like, yippee. Let's all go die with Jesus, shall we? I'm like, someone like that is going to smack him in the face. What's wrong with you, man? You pessimist? You, you, I, you know, what, what is wrong with you when Jesus himself just said something and you're like, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. That's the attitude that so many people have today. And can you imagine how Jesus felt dealing with this stuff for three and a half years? These guys were with Jesus every day, three and a half years. We've got three stories about Thomas, and all of them are along these lines. And imagine, every time Jesus says, hey, man, we're going to see a miracle today, you got Thomas in the background, yeah, right. <laughs> and Judas is over there like, how much money do I got today? How much money? And he's, he's counting the money, and you got Peter cussing someone out somewhere. I mean, this was sometimes a rough group of guys. But I just, I would rather, I, and and if you know me, I'll just go on the record to say this now. Pastor Dave's 
pet peeve is cussing. All right? I know, you know, I'm not judging anybody here. We're all getting, I know some people it's a struggle, but I despise cuss words. I hate them. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I know some people are new to the faith and they're growing out of that, but I just, I hate that. But I would probably rather be around that than a sarcastic, pessimistic doubter. They're more dangerous. I can't stand that stuff. And so Jesus has his hands full with these guys all the time. And here he's like, we're going to see a miracle. And Thomas says, let's go die with Jesus because I highly doubt we're going to see a miracle today. Have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? (laughs) What's Murphy's Law? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And, you know, I've heard that. In fact, one of my earliest jobs, um, well, you know, when Katie and I got married, I had recently, I was, well, I was 18, right? And and, uh, and I had lost my, I had a decent job. I lost it a few weeks before the wedding. And so I couldn't find a job. So I went down to Hardee's because they had a hiring sign out front. That's Carl's Jr. And, and, so, and so I applied and I got hired at like, Five and a half, six dollars an hour, or something like that, and and so this was my job when we got married. Katie was very proud of her man. Thank you very much. I was doing good, and uh, she just, you know, it was so exciting. But my boss, who was a great guy, but every day he'd be like, you know what? It's another day, Murphy's law. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And I'm like, why does this guy keep saying this stuff? And so this has annoyed me for so many years that. Actually, just this week, I looked up, I'm like, I want to find Murphy, I'm going to find who he is, because I'm going to track him down and punch him in the face. And so, I, I, you know, I, you know I, I googled and I researched Murphy, turns out he's already dead, so I can't hit him. But, uh, and, 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 and further news, closer to home, Murphy, the real Murphy, actually lived uh, at one point in the high desert here, believe it or not. He was an Air Force captain stationed at Edwards Air Force Base at one point in time. Renee, you're from that area, aren't you? Do you know Murphy? <laughs> she pointed at Cletus. Cletus is on Murphy. <laughs> All right. Hey, again, you guys got my number. Call me. We'll set up that appointment. All right. All right. So anyway, so I'm like, man, what is wrong with this guy? And 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 so I I I, I found an expanded list of because apparently they've expanded the list of Murphy's Law beyond. What anything that could go wrong will go wrong. And so look at this. You can put these on the screen there. But here's an expanded list of Murphy's Law. Number one, in any field of endeavor, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Okay, that's the kind of the first one we know. Number two, left to themselves, things always go from bad to worse. Who wants to be around somebody like that? All right, number three. If there, <laughs> this is possibly my favorite one. If there's a possibility of several things going wrong, the one that will go wrong is the one that will cause the most damage. <laughs> what? Come on. All right. Uh, uh, look at this. Uh, number four. Nature always sides with the hidden flaw. Number five. If, <laughs> if everything seems to be going well, you have obviously overlooked something. <laughs> Why do you gotta be like that? I can't stand stuff like that. And so, uh, uh, did I have a fifth? Okay, that's, that's the, that's the fifth one there. If, I mean, if everything goes like, well, things are going really good today, surely we've overlooked something. Can you imagine that being your outlook on life? Yet, that, as silly as that is, that's the expanded list of Murphy's Law. Listen, I know people like that. Like, man, everything's going good today. I feel really nervous. Some, something's got to be wrong somewhere because surely my life can't be good. Not even for one day. 
And they may not word it that way, but that's how a pessimist lives their lives. I had a a former neighbor, okay? I won't say where or when, but a former neighbor. And this guy was a pessimist. He was a leader at another church, which shocked me, but he was a pessimist. And so any time I would say something positive, he would instantly counter back with something negative, like, hey, neighbor, good day, hot day. What? Hey, neighbor, you look good today. Well, I feel like trash today. What? Hey, neighbor, God is for us. Well, the devil's against us, so, I mean, no matter what I did, he would counter back with something negative, and it's mind-blowing. Like, what is wrong that that is your outlook? And I get it that some people may, by nature, be a little bit more like that, but I'm challenging you today, you can't live your life like that and expect to see miracles and blessings and the favor of God working in your life. You can't live like that. That is not how the children of God act. That's negativity, and it's pessimism, and it's doubt, and it's wrong, and that will rob you of the blessings of God. You need to examine your outlook on life. Are you looking at everything through the eyes of faith? You know, have you ever seen, like, you can put on a pair of glasses, right, and maybe you got some green sunglasses, and, like, you put those on, and everything just looks different all of a sudden. Like, whoa, how did that happen? Then you put on a, a red pair or something like that, and it just changes how you see everything. You're looking at the exact same object, but all of a sudden it just looks different. And so, people of faith, we may be looking at the exact same problem. Well, we've got this giant building and one AC unit running the whole thing. We could look at that and say, man, anything that will go wrong, could go wrong, will go wrong. I can't see you guys. Hang on. Right. So, wow. You look much better now. Some of you look a little weird. For, so, but, you know, here we are. I mean, we got one left, and it's probably going to break down next. My God, if it could, it's just going from bad to worse. But you put the eyes of faith on. You look at it through the Word of God, and we looked up there, and what did we see? Man, I see six brand new units. Come on. Man, you're a fool. I, don't, I see those old dinosaurs, those old th- No, I see them. They may not be there, but I am looking through the eyes of faith, and I see the answer even though it's not there. And so whatever it is you're facing in life right now, look at it through the eyes of faith. The answer may not be there just yet, but listen, pick up the Bible, look at the problem, and you will begin to see it in a whole different way. You may be facing a giant. Well, you pick up the Bible and you look over at 1 Samuel 17. What happened when they faced a giant? David hit that dude right in the forehead with a rock and killed him. That's how I see giant. Man, what an opportunity for a huge testimony right here. We've got a giant problem. Well, stand by. We've got a giant testimony on the way, somebody. Come on, right? How do you view things? I heard this story about... These two guys, they were best friends. One was a pessimist, one was an optimist. And so, I don't know how they even got along so well, but the, the optimist, he says, you know what, I, I, I've got to do something to change this. He was always trying to get the pessimist to say something positive. So he's like, you know what, I'll get it. I will imp- I'm going to go down to the pet store. So he goes to the pet store, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some money on this because I'm going to force him to say something good. So he goes to the pet store owner. He tells him the situation. The guy's like, okay, I got something for you. He brings out this beautiful parrot, this exotic, rare, expensive parrot. And the optimist guy, he's like, 
it's beautiful. I've never seen colors like that. He can say all these words, but, you know, I know my friend, he'll make fun of the, the parrot's accent. He'll say that his colors are too bright. No, no, no. What else do you got? So the guy brings out a dog and says, this dog can walk on water. I swear. He can walk on water. And so the optimist says, that's, that's what I need. I'll take it. So he pays him, and he takes the water-walking dog with him. He's like, I can't wait to get my friend, man. So they go out to this park, and, and they're walking and casually talking, and he's playing fetch with his dog, and he waits for the right moment. He throws the ball out onto the water, and sure enough, the dog runs out there, chases the ball, and walks on the wa- runs on the water, and brings the ball back. The optimist says, huh, see that? The guy's like, yeah, I saw it. He's like, huh, you notice anything unique about that dog? He's like, yeah, the dumb thing can't even swim. What's wrong with that dog? And so what I'm telling you is that's the type of outlook that Thomas had. And I'm not, you know, you need to judge your life. Is that how you look at things? They're like, yeah, maybe able to do that, but can't even swim. Don't let that be you. Look at Proverbs 18.21. We're coming back to John. Proverbs 18.21. Are we having a good time today? Proverbs 18.21. And hopefully you know this verse by now, but if not, you will. If you stick around here, you will know this verse. Uh, uh, one of the other first verses that my parents taught me, and uh, one of the first verses I taught my kids. Proverbs 18.21. So, quick story. Got time for one quick story? Just one. All right. So, um, Josh and I, when we were little kids, we went to, before my dad was a pastor, we went to a church in Indianapolis. And they brought in a children's evangelist one day to do a children's ministry. And so this guy, uh, he, 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 he's, Gave the kids Proverbs 18.20. It had something to do with this verse, his lesson. And he's like, can any of you kids explain that verse to me? And, you know, just crickets. Nobody could do anything. And so he's like, okay, I'll give you kids, give you a dollar. And and me and Josh are sitting there like, <laughs> so, uh, all right, I'll give you $5 to the kid. $10, $15. And he's like, okay, I'll give $20 my five, to any kid that can explain that verse. And Josh up here, he's what, uh, six, seven years old. Full beard and everything stands up, full beard, full beard stands up and gives up, preaches to the dude, gives him a sermon on Proverbs eighteen twenty one, and the guy's jaw just dropped. He was like, "Where'd this kid come from?" He paid up, gave Josh twenty bucks. We went to Kmart and got some new cap guns. Right? It's exactly what we got because we were going to be cowboys, and I have not given up on that dream. I'm still someday going to be a cowboy. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm in the New King James, so it says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And so the, the, the New Living says that those who love to talk, they will reap the consequences, right? And so your words are powerful. If you are constantly going around saying stupid, pessimistic, negative Doubt-filled things. Guess what you're going to get? You're going to get that, and then you're going to, and then eventually you're going to say, "Well, if God's so good, why does this bad stuff happen to me all the time?" Because your words brought it to pass in your life. Well, I don't get it. Why does she always have good stuff happening? Well, let's listen to how she talks for a few days and see what's up. Well, why? Why does it always seems to always work for him? Why him? Listen to how that person's talking. If you 
speak bad death words over your life, you will eat the fruit of that. You will reap the consequences of your words. And Thomas was nonstop pessimistic, all right? And so let's go to point number two, all right? Number one, Thomas was pessimistic. Number two, Thomas was doubtful. Well, I thought that was the same thing. It is not the same thing. Thomas was doubtful. Now, if this hits close to home for you, maybe you're sitting here thinking like, man, this all sounds like me. Good. I'm really glad you came to church today because we're going to help you and fix you so you don't think this way anymore and say these things anymore. So uh, I've got this definition on the screen. Pessimism means tending to see the worst aspect of things or believing that the worst will happen. So pessimism means tending to see the worst aspect of things or believing that the worst will happen. Does that, I mean, anybody in here, have you at least, you've been there? Okay. Doubt means, this is even worse, doubt means to call into question the truth of whatever it is. To call into question the truth of. So pessimism is bad enough, but can you see why doubt is such an enemy to your faith? Now I'm getting ready to drop something real heavy, so just buckle up and listen. When we're in doubt about something God said, we are literally questioning God's honesty. And I never seen it that way till I was sitting down just talking to God about this. But when we, and we may, we don't, we may not see it that way, but when God says, I've got this for you, or, or, or you find a verse in the Bible that promises us something, and then we begin to doubt that, what is it we're really doing? We're questioning God's honesty. I mean, that that hit me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, never let me be like that. If there's anybody I want, I do not want to question God. How would you like it if if you had promised somebody something and and, and really like, it's, he's not going to do it. She's not going to do it. I, I know she won't. I, I just and, and 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 then and then word gets back to you that they don't think you're going to do it. I'd be like, man, they think I'm a liar or something. They think I'm dishonest. They think I'm a liar. And we may not see it that way. And we all have little doubts, okay? I get that. We all have little things that come to us. But when we become a Thomas, and every time Jesus says something, in your mind or out of your mouth, all right, whatever. I doubt it. I'll see it. I've never seen it. We're questioning the honesty of God. And that is not healthy for that relationship with father-son, father-daughter, whatever you are. Listen, that is not healthy for that relationship. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Let's look at uh, the next story about Thomas that we have. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Praise God. Who's ready to grow? I mean, I'm serious. I flat out refuse to stay right where I'm at. I want to grow. I don't want to be this way forever. I'm glad I'm not where I used to be. But I don't, I am not content with where I'm at. As a Christian and as as uh, spiritually, I want to grow. I want to see more miracles. I want to see God use me in bigger ways. I want to help more people than I've been able to help up until this point in my life. I want to grow. And it's, it comes down to faith. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Now, all the stories we're looking at are pretty well-known portions of Scripture, but sometimes people don't realize that 
Thomas was directly involved in this. And so John chapter 14, what we have is the sixth I am statement of Jesus where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, but what you don't realize is Jesus was talking directly to Thomas when he said that. Because yet again, Thomas doesn't believe him. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. I love that. Verse 2, there is more than enough room in my father's home. The King James, most translations say, my father's house are many mansions. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. I love, I mean, can you imagine sitting there at the feet of Jesus and he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house or many mansions. If this wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back to get you guys someday. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, friends, where we're going. You know the way to heaven. And then verse 5. No, we don't know, Lord. Thomas said. In fact, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? I'm like, this beautiful, wonderful, eloquent moment, Jesus describing heaven and his father's house, and you guys are going with me, and you know the way. And Thomas is like, I hate to rain on the parade, but we have no idea what you're even talking about. We don't know the way to, the way to heaven. And Jesus, right here, drops one of the most classic and timeless phrases that we have from him and jesus in verse six jesus told him thomas thomas i am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me if you had really known me thomas you would know who my father is from now on you do know him and you have seen him and at that moment i mean jesus just goes into this powerful statement i'm like It probably just got real awkward in there when Jesus called Thomas out in front of everyone. Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets up there except through me. But Jesus had to lay it out there real thick and real heavy. And again, that that, that just seems disrespectful to me towards Jesus when he says something as beautiful as that. And then Thomas is like, I'm sorry, we, we don't even, we don't, we don't know the way. We don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about right now? And again, this man has been with Jesus for three years. He's seen him raise the dead. He's seen him, uh, you know, multiply the, the fish and the bread. He's seen him uh, lay hands on blind people and they're healed. He's seen him take care of deaf people. He's cast the devil out, cleansed the lepers. This man has seen all this stuff. And yet again, Jesus lays it out there. And Thomas is like, could you explain yourself, man? Because I don't even know what you're talking about right now. What an attitude to have. And so doubt is a difficult thing to deal with. But it is one of the most disrespectful things that we can do towards our father. And sometimes like, well, I'll, I, I just don't get it. And let me just put it out there. I don't understand everything about God yet. And if there ever is a point in time when I do understand everything about God, something is so, totally wrong. Because he is so big 
that my mind, if, if my little mind and my little brain could fully comprehend the creator of the universe, then he's not that big. But he is way beyond my understanding. And so if you're going to grow as a Christian, you're going to have to come to the place where you learn to trust what he says even before you understand it. Sometimes trust first, the understanding comes later. Sometimes trust, and I still don't understand it. I still, uh, there's something, I mean, I'm trusted, and, and God comes through, no doubt. And I mean, I don't understand it all. And thank God that I don't. I'll get to heaven someday, and I'll get some more answers for some things that I don't get yet. But listen, I'm going to trust and obey the whole way until I get there. And so, Thomas again, Jesus has to lay this truth on him. But let's look at the third story about Thomas. It's found in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And this is the famous story that most of you probably know. This is where Thomas earned a nickname that has stuck with him for 2,000 years and running. He's potentially the running for the longest lasting nickname. I don't know very many people that, you know, how'd you get that nickname, Thomas? Well, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus said something and I doubted it. So John chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. And so Jesus has resurrected. He's back. Hallelujah. And, and so he was on the earth for 40 days before he went back up into heaven. And here he is, and he appears to the disciples. John chapter 20, verse 24, one of the disciples, Thomas nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Can you imagine that? Jesus shows up and you weren't there to see it. Wouldn't that just tick you off? Like, I missed it. I missed Jesus. Like, what in the world? That's awful. There's been a lot of things that I wasn't there for uh, that day. And I'm like, man, that stinks. But look at this. Verse 25, they told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, these are some of his best friends. These aren't just some bums on the street. These are some of Thomas's best friends. He's lived with these guys for three and a half years. They say, man, we just had an experience. They're all saying, we saw the Lord. We saw Jesus. Ten of them, because Judas was dead at this point. So that, and Thomas wasn't there. But the other ten say, we just saw Jesus. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. What? Oh my gosh. He, look at, look at that statement. He doesn't even stop at, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. He's like, I'll believe it when I see it, and when I can personally feel it too. What a Double dog low down thing to do. I know some people, I'll believe it when I see it. But Thomas goes and says, I'll believe it when I can see it. And I'll believe it when I can personally feel it too. So what did he just do? He called all ten of his friends liars. Bunch of liars. I don't believe a word you guys are saying. How would you like that to be your friend? All ten of you are witnessing to the same thing. No, no, seriously, we saw him. Yeah, right. No, you didn't. I, I, I don't believe a word you're saying. What an awful thing to say, especially when Jesus kept saying, guys, I'm going to die. I'll be gone for three days, but then I'm coming back. So Jesus himself said he was coming back, and he comes back, and Thomas doesn't believe it. 
So listen, this is, I mean, just, this is where that nickname came from. But look at verse 26, verse 26, verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. So he's actually there this time. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And so one thing you've got to realize, Jesus resurrected, and he is now in what we would call a glorified body. And in this body, Jesus, I mean, he's, you know, you may think I'm crazy, he's walking through the wall, he's just showing up places and, and startling people. And I love that, because when we get to heaven, you realize we get glorified bodies too. Right, man? Dude, I cannot wait for heaven, because that's one thing on my bucket list up there. I'm going to be walking through walls. I just want to show up. You're in your mansion eating some KFC or something, and I just push. Hey, guys, what's up? Peace be with you, right? Peace be with me, man. What are you doing? And so Jesus shows up. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, oh, Thomas, guess what, buddy? I've got something to show you. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Buddy just got called out in front of everybody. He's like, you wanted your proof? Here's your proof. Look at this. Feel this. Don't be faithless. What did he just tell Thomas, man? You haven't had any faith until now. But here's your chance believe. Do you think Thomas believed at this point? Buddy, yeah, he believed. (laughs) He believed all right. But look at this. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, hey, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Wow. Well, I believe it now because I can see it. I believe the church is going to get those AC units because I can see them now. It doesn't take any faith to believe in something you can actually see. Faith is believing without seeing. And Jesus said, Thomas, I love you, man. But the only reason you even believe what I said and what your friends over here said is because you can see me and feel me now. But that's not where the blessing is. Blessed are those, Thomas, who believe Without seeing, there is a blessing for those who will believe before they can even see it. Blessed are those people. Is there anybody here today that you fall into that category where I haven't seen it yet, but you better bet I believe it. Guess what? Blessed are you. You're blessed for that. Mm, Love this stuff. All right. The third thing I'm going to say is this. Points about Thomas because... One one truth is, all right, man, we've seen the bad and the ugly and the pessimism and the disrespect, all right? But how would you like to be remembered for your lowest moments in life when you've got some good ones, too, right? I think my mother-in-law back there always tells me, you know, she she reminds me of something. I'm not endorsing this individual, you know, right? But... Former President Bill Clinton, all right, he, he said, I, you know what, it stinks when you know, you've done some good things. I'm not endorsing him, all right? <laughs> please, please hear me out. But he did say, 
he one time said, but it's, it really stinks sometimes to be remembered for your absolute worst, lowest, dumbest moment of your life. And I, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't vote for the guy, but I can understand that. It does stink when you've done some decent, good things in the world, right? At least according to the best that you think you did, but most people just remember the dumbest thing you ever did. And what I'm saying is, Thomas, we've got record of the stupidest, dumbest things that he did. But what we do know is this. He didn't actually stay that way. Truths about Thomas. One, he was a pessimist for a lot of his life. Number two, he was doubtful. But number three, he was redeemed. He found redemption. And thank God. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Because maybe you're in here and you're like, I've been a pessimist, I've been a doubter, I've been this, I've been that. But aren't you glad that Jesus comes and says, you know what? Yeah, you've doubted me, you've kind of insulted me a few times, but guess what? I love you, and I see something there, and I want to give you another chance. Mm. Now, redemption, by definition, means to buy something back, right? That's the most accurate literal translation of the word is to buy something back. And so when we say Jesus redeemed us, that means at one point I belonged to the kingdom of darkness. Satan was my master. Well, I never chose that. By not choosing Jesus, by default, you chose Satan. And we were all there at one point in time. And so Jesus comes in and says, I want her back. I'll pay, what, what, what's the cost? What, what's it going to take? It's going to take your blood, man. And so Jesus says, you know what? That's not too much. She's well worth it. He is well worth it. I will pay, I will pay that. Jesus paid the price of his blood and bought you back from Satan and brought you back to the family, to the kingdom of God from the kingdom of darkness. Let's give Jesus some praise right now, man. If that doesn't excite you, what is wrong? Thank you, Jesus. You redeemed us. You bought us back. When we were pretty much worthless, you said, no, no, they're priceless. I'll do this anyway. And so a, a, a deeper, even definition and translation of redemption beyond that in the Hebrew means to overcome something detrimental. So you were bought back, and then Jesus makes you overcome something that was detrimental to you. Thomas' doubt and pessimism was detrimental to him. But Jesus redeemed him and gave him a chance to overcome the very things that held him back. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We have made some mistakes and done some boneheaded, knucklehead things, but Jesus redeemed us, and I don't have to be a knucklehead anymore. I don't have to be stupid anymore. I don't have to be full of doubt anymore. I don't have to be addicted anymore. I don't have to be bound by fear anymore. I don't have to be sick anymore. I don't have to be poor anymore. I don't have to be broken anymore. I don't have to feel worthless anymore. I am redeemed. Jesus bought me and took me out of that mess. I don't belong to Satan. I belong to Jesus. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, in the New King James, it says, In whom or in him we have redemption. We've been bought, in other words, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thomas, at this point, up until now, he took some of this to the point of sin. Is it a sin to doubt? Well, again, we all get hit with some stuff. But when your whole lifestyle is every time the Word of God says something and you know, I doubt that, that's sin. That does reach the point of sin. But Jesus died, rose again, had to come and give Thomas some truth, had to lay it straight with him. You only believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who believe me without seeing me. Thomas found redemption. Thomas was forgiven of his sins. And Thomas overcame that which was detrimental to him. Now the next little story that I'm going to share as we begin to close out is this. I always knew that most of Jesus' disciples died a martyr's death. John did not. He's the only one. John lived into his 90s. And wrote the book of Revelation because they were like, man, we, we can't get rid of this guy. They sent him out to an island called Patmos out in the sea there. And like, we'll just get rid of this crazy old guy and send him out there. And as he's out there, the Lord appears and gives him the book of Revelation. And John got the last laugh because, hey, now we know most of what we know about heaven. Because you knuckleheads sent John out to an island thinking you'd shut him up. But you didn't. Judas hung himself, all right? And the other guys, they all died martyrs' deaths. And so I'm, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, I get it, you know. Um, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, uh, you know, uh, Peter. I, 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 I can see how they would, but out of all those guys, I have a hard time seeing Thomas taking a bullet for Jesus, right, or a spear, or a hanging, or whatever they want to do with him. And so I'm, I'm studying out his life a little bit more, and, 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 and according to church history, what we have about Thomas is this, is that Thomas got it together, and he became such a passionate and fiery evangelist for Jesus, he gets this redemption, he gets another chance, that he starts spreading the gospel, and he lives one of the longer lives of the apostles, of the twelve disciples, actually lives longer than a lot of them, and he takes the gospel so far that the man is credited with founding Christianity in India. He went that far away. I'm like, my gosh, what is all this? And, you know, I'm studying this out, and, you know, a lot of what we have, the church history-wise, comes from the Catholic Church. And so I'm studying this, and, and I'm, I'm like, this is just hard to believe. He planted seven churches in India. Thomas! And, 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 and we got all these stories about these antagonistic and, and uh, angry Hindu priests that were after him. And the ironic thing is, according to history, what we have is that Thomas founding a church... The Hindu priest caught up to him and stabbed him through the side with a spear, right down the side. I think it was 72 AD or something like that. And so they stab him, and Thomas lays down his life and dies for Jesus and will not go back on his beliefs. So I believe this enough to die for it. And kind of the irony of the story is the same guy that said, I won't believe it until I put 
my hand. And the hole in his side that he was stabbed with it, I won't believe it until I put my hand in that hole in his side. The same guy took a spear to the side, just like Jesus, and laid it all down and said, I'll die for what I believe in now. I can't see him, but I'm going to see him soon. Thomas found redemption through being a doubter and almost antagonistic, a, a pessimist. Jesus loved him anyway and gave him another chance. And what, so what does all that boil down to today for us? Listen, maybe you're sitting here like, well, I'm not perfect. I, I've done that. I've done that. That's okay. You don't got to be perfect. We've seen that. Jesus chose Peter and Thomas. He even let Judas work with him for a few years. Jesus didn't pick perfect people. And that's really good news for me. And that's really good news for you because that's just who he's looking for. Because people like me and people like you, God's going to do great things through us. And I know none of us are going to be able to say, well, he only did that because I'm so smart. Right? Are you with me? He ain't doing anything around here because we got a church full of geniuses. And I'm not putting down on you. I'm not putting down on me. Because we got a church full of rich people. Well, we got a church full of beautiful people. He's using us. He's using you. He's using me. Because we're not perfect. And we're fully aware of it. And we're saying, Jesus, you redeemed me. And I want you to use me for something great. I know you can't do it because I'm so good. But you're going to get the glory. Because people are going to say, I know that they aren't perfect, but my gosh, what God has done through them. And so, in the days ahead, I end nearly every conversation I have with this right now. In the days ahead, man, there could be persecution to come towards Christians. I preached on it last week. The pressure from the world around us could get more and more and more. And guess what? Blessed are those... Who believe without seeing. And I, you know, I'm like, hey, if I got to take a spear to the side, I'm never going to say, well, you know what? I didn't really believe that Jesus stuff anyway. I'll die before I say something like that. I will. I'm sticking with him all the way until the end. And the more we stick with him, praise God, blessed are those who believe without seeing. He's coming back. And we're going up in glory with him, but there will never be a point in time where anybody from this church, amen, are you with me? That we will let go of Jesus. We're sticking with him all the way until the very end. If you're with me today, can you stand up together and give the Lord some praise? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 